Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me this week in the studio is Bim Adewumni. Uh, She is a senior culture writer for BuzzFeed News. She's based in New York City. The last time I saw her, we were in Philadelphia in the middle of the summer, and I was so hot, I couldn't tell if I was crying or if that was just the level of sweat on my face. Bim, welcome to the show. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for also bringing back the visual of last summer that I had of you. Um, Because I too was sweating like a strange creature. So it was truly, it was a very damp meeting between. It was such a wild time too. I don't spend a lot of time on the East Coast. So I just am not used Mm. to the sort of like, it, it felt like I was being carried in a cat's warm mouth. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) the level, it was awful and so disorienting and bewildering. I think about it It a lot. It feels like a fever dream. And actually speaking of cats, the reason that I was a little bit late to the studio today is somebody brought their kitten into the Berkeley studios and they were just wandering around introducing everyone to their little teeny tiny kitten, which was like so gentle and just wanted to be petted. Um, So I had to stop and really take that in for like eight minutes. That's a, that, I mean, that's a valid reason. I myself, I'm, I am not a cat person, uh, even though we had cats when I was growing up. And then as soon as we kind of, you know, they left our lives, I was like, oh, I don't even really like cats. So it's my life's dream now to get a dog. Um, but I'm also very aware that I'm not from here. So if I got a dog, I don't know how I would transport them back home when my American journey came to an end. So I just stare longingly at strangers' dogs on the streets, which is, as you can imagine, intensely creepy. This was such an emotional journey to be taken on. First of all, thank you for just like <laughs> taking me through the life of your experience with pets. Um, I, 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 okay. I, I'm definitely equal parts a cat and dog person. Um, right. You're very which lucky. Which I also like, it feels so on the nose to say that, right? It's just, it, it basically feels like, okay, we get it. You're bisexual. Um <laughs> But, like, I am a dog and a cat person both. And I also just love it when people bring their pets anywhere, especially sure. because it's it's just, like, I don't have to do anything. I'm not responsible for the animal mm. in question. I don't have to mm. care for it in any way. I just get to pet it on the head and then, like, skip mm-hmm. along my merry way. So, I feel the same way about babies. So I truly understand everything you're saying. It makes sense. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> in the spirit of just like frivolously dipping in and out of other people's lives and responsibilities hey, and then skipping smooth. on our merry way. Why Why don't we tell a bunch of strangers how to live their lives and then, uh, you know, never discuss them again? Let's do that. Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited and I'm so glad that you're here. And I would love it if you would do the honor of reading the very first letter. Of course. So... <sighs> There's a, this letter, um, the subject is intrusive questions in casual conversation. Um, so dear Prudence, I moved to an English speaking country full of friendly people. When asked, I am happy to disclose that I'm from the Indian subcontinent. I often get strange comments or questions as a follow up. I can usually deal with well-intentioned comments expressing surprise at how quote-unquote good my English is, but a weird and intrusive follow-up question I've gotten a few times now is, oh, you don't look dark enough to be from there. Were one of your parents white or something? I'm usually left speechless since I'm not used to casual questions about the skin colour of one's parents being a topic of conversation among strangers. What is a polite way to respond to this while making it clear that it's not an appropriate question to ask a relative stranger? Oh, God. Incredible. People are trash. Incredible. God. Do you think it's necessary to be polite in response to a question like that? No, I do not. But I believe very much in radical unfriendliness. Um, and I think this is a prime time to bring that forth. Just kind of lean into them kind of semi-menacingly and just say, why don't you fuck off? Now, of course, you can't say that. And it helps that I have a British accent, which is pleasing to many American ears. So it does confuse us. It does. It, I can listen. That's the one takeaway from all the reporting I've done in this country is that if you say 
it with a smile and a charming British accent, you can say the most offensive things. So you're halfway home, and I and then I just think <laughs> I think she told me to fuck myself. Exactly. It's kind of I I do believe she chose some excellent words, and I was seduced. Um, I just think there are times when you have to kind of rein in the urge to kind of go off. And this doesn't feel like one of them. Now, this is a personal thing. Um, I have, obviously, my name is Bim Adewanmi. It's a Nigerian name. It's a Yoruba name. And I have had people compliment me on how well I speak English before, to which I always reply, well, that's lucky because I was born and raised in England. And also I'm a journalist. Um, But I think, I, I, I don't think you have to be polite when you are telling people that that is an inappropriate question. Because they haven't done you the courtesy of being polite by asking such a fucking stupid question to begin with. Um, so I always just kind of, I smile very, um, a very tight smile, you know, and I just kind of go, what do you mean? And then allow them to say the question a second time so they can hear how ridiculous it is. And if they say it again, I go, I'm sorry, I don't understand. What do you mean? Say, explain it to me like I'm six. And then over and over until you break down quite how foolish their question is, and it becomes apparent to them. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Letter writer, you have both of our full permission to be as impolite as you like in response to such a question. Um, If it is not your desire to prolong the conversation, or if you are mostly looking for the quickest way to get out of it, that is also fine. If if you Mm -hmm. don't want to get into it, you don't have to. That's true. Um, a, a, a great thing that I, I, this is not original to me. I have heard this from other people giving advice uh, is just just something as simple as like a pause. And then you must be so embarrassed to have said that. <laughs> also very good. Yes, that's good. That's very, yeah, very which good. Is, very polite. It is. Um, you know, it's not you're not cursing them out. Um, you are being very clear that they have committed a social like faux pas, which is true. And sometimes it is as it is the politest thing you can do mm. to point out to someone they have just stepped in it. Mm, um, mm, so mm. to just say something like. Now that you've had a second to think about it, I'm sure you're embarrassed that you asked that question. Let's move on. Mm, um, mm. That makes it clear you're not going to indulge that line of thinking, right. but that also doesn't open you up for a sort of back and forth. If that's, if that's all true. you want, I think I think yours is fabulous and would be wonderful if you were sort of like, hey, I have a few minutes. I'm willing to try to get someone to reexamine some of their absurd premises, which is that mm. like one of the largest subcontinents in the world apparently doesn't contain within it a wide variety of possible like phenotypes. Right. I mean, I've had that. Yeah. I've had someone say to me once when they basically they started off by doing that thing that everyone loves, where they try to guess <laughs> what my parentage was, and then after getting it wrong like two or three times, um, I said, "Okay, uh, N- N- Nigeria," and he was like, "Yep, knew it. You've got the you've got the you've got the West African face shape," and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> you don't get wow. to yeah." I was taken aback, like literally, you know, people use that expression. I was taken yeah, aback, yeah. but I was actually taken aback. I think I think my my hand th- kind of went to my throat in a very dramatic pearl clutching fashion. Like, are you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are you serious? And he said this with like a completely blank look on his face. Like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, guessed it, knew it. And I looked at because yeah. he wasn't my friend. He was a friend of a friend. And I looked at my friend as if to say, why am I here? Why is this man here? And if I stabbed him? Would you call the cops? Because I was so incensed, but I was also just kind of like I was dumbfounded. I, my mouth just wouldn't make sounds. I just could only do like increasingly panic looks with my eyes. Just kind of right. like, what is and, this? And there's there's already the sort of like there's the separate category of dumb shit mm. um, that a lot of people say, not realizing that the person they're saying it to hears it all the time. Right. Right. Um, that depending on your personal level of politeness and in, in the situation, you might be willing to overlook, which in this case, like this letter writer is kind of saying like, yes, a lot of people seem to think uh, that commenting on my English is like information I didn't already have. Right. So like that's already dumb to begin with. Right. Like everyone who is speaking a language on purpose is probably reasonably aware of their own facility with that language. Right. Right. Like you and I are currently speaking fluently in English at one another. Neither one of us is surprised that that's happening because we both know that <laughs> we speak English quite fluently. I mean, that was a social um, contract, yes. We yeah, both so we came no one, into this knowing we were, we were both going to be speaking English. Yeah, no one's no one's going to... If you say to anyone, wow, your English is really good, that's not news. Like, they're not going to be like, 
wow, is it? I, I, I had no idea. Here I thought that you and I were speaking like Farsi or, or binary to one another. Like right. they know. So again, it's one of those things like telling someone they're tall that <laughs> like they know they hear that a lot. Right. You don't need to say anything about it. Right. But this this is definitely not in that category. This is like uh, completely idiotic, mm. rude, way personal. It violates sort of all the normal first conversation rules we have. Right. So there is no need to be polite to this. There is no need to explain to someone. Everyone knows. that, Right. Like we all know you don't bring up. The topic of somebody else's parents' skin color on the first conversation, especially in the sense of like, uh, I I, I don't believe this skin color could exist in India. Like, that's just. um, It's also kind of like co-opting your, like you said, like, I know who my parents are. I know what my family lineage is. I know all of this. So you, a stranger telling me, oh, I, you don't look dark enough. Like, are you, huh? It's just. And it's like. One of the biggest countries in the world. I mean, right. again, like there's so many ways in which it is a dumb, terrible thing to right. say. But like, but also it's like stupid. Really, yeah, like that that country stretches from like below, well below the equator to like pretty damn far north. There's right. a lot of variety of peoples within that massive range. Right. It just betrays. Uh, yeah. It betrays like a, a weird centralizing of your knowledge and your or what you think is your knowledge and so if someone even slightly deviates from what you assume in your tiny tiny brain you know to be as you know that's the correct thing then it just kind of sets off a series of you know explosions in your tiny brain and so you have to articulate that by going you don't look dark enough and it's just like shut your whole mouth your entire mouth like this was famously a line that like michael scott said on the American version of The Office. And, sure. like, if you're at that level, it's not, it, it's not, a, like, he, he he's meeting Rashida Jones, and he says, like, the first thing he says to her is, wow, you're so exotic looking. Was your dad a GI? <laughs> and everyone on screen, like, their jaws drop. So, like, when someone is at that level, um, you can be polite. That's very great. But you can absolutely just say something like, what an invasive, personal, stupid question. Yes. Um, I'm not going to answer that. Why would you ask me that? Any anything along those lines? Feel free to be. I mean, I, I don't don't like slap them in the face and, and no. call them names. And but this, like, short of that, you don't have to worry about. Being you polite. don't. I mean, the question that she said specifically was, "What is a polite way to respond to this while making it clear?" And that's why I I chose the option of asking them, "What do you yes. mean? What do you yes, mean?" Yes, because that is very polite. It is. It's kind of like no, no, no. You know, and you do this with like just like you know a, a very blank smile what do you mean and you look fake interested like oh, i really want to know what you were thinking so what do you mean and if you say that with like you know where you can hear a smile in someone's voice i always think if you can if you can hear the smile what do you mean and then you can see just how ridiculous and you do it with wide right. eyes like you know puss in boots just the biggest eyes you can get. what do you what do you yeah. mean <laughs> It will knock out, you know, 90 percent of the people who ask that question, they will get flustered and embarrassed. That's the hope. There will be at least 10 percent who will absolutely double down. Right. They will further elaborate. And those people, again, if if, if that comes up, feel free to say, I'm not going to speak to you anymore. Good day. And then go get an hors d'oeuvre or something. Right. And that's still polite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you get the freedom to really like move in a lot of different directions here because they have so seriously flouted the rules of like social engagement. True. Woof. All right. So now that we are off to the races, uh, <laughs> we're going to move from an incredibly specific problem to a question that was, I think, perhaps intentionally left vague. And I'm sort of interested to hear your take on it. The okay. subject of this one is just upcoming wedding blues. Mm. Dear Prudence, my best friend disapproves of my fiance. At first, she said that I didn't have to invite her to the wedding. Then she told me that she has considered seeing a therapist because of my upcoming nuptials. She realized that she wants nothing to do with him. I understand because she was there for me during the last breakup two years ago and can't get past what happened. However, she hasn't acknowledged the changes that I've seen in him. I haven't spoken to her since that last conversation. How can I move forward with this friendship? I love her very much, but I feel like I have to choose." So I don't normally include questions that are this vague and open-ended. But there was something about this that sort of leapt out at me because, and again, this is totally just my reading in between the lines. I feel like whatever happened during the last breakup two years ago, there is a reason this letter writer has not included it. Right. Because they are aware that 
it would sound probably pretty objectively like a deal breaker to us. Mm-hmm. 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 That, at least that was my read. My read no, no, on no. this is not the friend is being unreasonable. My read on this is your friend is concerned about your safety. Yes. And or well-being. Um, that was my read also. Because like you said, yeah. I, I kept thinking, like once I read the letter, I thought, well, what did he do? What did he do? Because I think if someone is your friend, um, your best friend, they've seen you through some truly awful things. That's my feeling. And they've also seen you right. through your, your, your greatest highs and your lowest lows. And if that friend, for whatever reason, is more than hesitant. I mean, even the opening thing when she said, um, um, she said, I don't have to invite her to the wedding, which mm. is it sounds passive aggressive, but that's a friend who I think was giving her an out. Like, I don't have to, I don't want to have to engage with this. And yes, it was, I guess, sort of passive aggressive, but she was making it very clear that this is something that she can't get past. Yeah. No, to me, this reads as either her fiance did something uh, that was physically violent mm. um profoundly controlling that mm. had something to do with like monitoring her communications with other people, forbidding her to see other people, mm. um, like forbidding her to leave the house um, or like extensive, extensive cheating and emotional abuse. Right. Um, again, it would be something along those lines mm. um, where the friend in question says, I love you. I want to be here for you if and when you ever decide to leave him. Like, I don't want to close that avenue, but I can't support your marrying him. Right. right? This, this, Pretty clearly, especially because the letter writer says, I understand why she feels like she can't support our getting married, which suggests, letter writer, um, that you you see some merit to what she's saying, that she's right. not just judging him or hasn't given him a chance or just doesn't like the way he is at dinner parties. Like, this mm. is pretty serious stuff about his character right. um, and the way that he treats you. Right. And I thought... So with that information... Yeah, go for no, it. No, no, just... <laughs> When she says she hasn't acknowledged the the changes that I've seen in him, that to me was what then kind of brought me short as well. Because I just thought, well, what he did must have been so bad that she wasn't even necessarily interested in in his the rehabilitation um, of whatever he did, which again is like a massive red flag to me. Like, right. if I had seen something or or you know had ex- experienced this kind of secondhand through my best friend. I don't think I would be interested in hearing about how he's got better if I thought it was something that the breakup was a, the right thing to do and I'd seen her through whatever trauma, you know, of that of that breakup was. I just I don't know. I I, I don't I honestly this this one left me very very stumped um because yep. I just I, I like you said I think it was something very very serious like a real doozy of of an offense. Yeah. Um and I don't know how someone who has seen that um but perhaps hasn't seen what you say is a change in them. I, you know, if I hadn't seen a change either, then I, I, I would also would ask to be, you know, disinvited from your wedding. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like there's a couple of possibilities for that. Again, we don't have sufficient information to give like a really fantastic answer that we know will fit her situation. But mm. I think there's some things that we can sort of intuit. Um, one of which is um, your friend may not have acknowledged the changes that you've seen in him because she hasn't seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be that he has sufficiently demonstrated his changed behavior to the world outside of your relationship. And that's not a good sign. Mm. Um, if 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 it's that, that would suggest that his changes have more to placating you and the two of you are together than in a genuine change of heart. Um, another possibility is that he has not changed at all. Right. Um, is that you very much want to believe that whatever he did, he will never do again. And he is very invested in keeping you with him. So he is very invested in convincing you that he has changed um, when, in fact, he has not. And I think that's a real possibility that you need to acknowledge. Mm. Um, and I want to say that gently because, again, I don't know exactly what's going on inside your relationship. But it's clear that whatever is going on, you feel reluctant to tell other people about it. Um, you feel protective of him. And that, again, like, it's not necessarily that he is abusive, but those are all hallmarks of an abusive relationship. Um, So I would urge you, letter writer, to really consider, do I think my best friend is really judgmental and suspicious? Or is it possible that my fiancé 
has not done a thorough job of mending his ways and demonstrating to the world at large that he would never again treat me in such a way that would give the people who love me the most pause at the thought of our getting married. Right. Yeah. And I, you, so, yeah. I think that's the I feel I have to choose, I think, is something that you you may or may not have to in the long run. But I do think, right. you know, as as you said, Mallory, I think it's. I think it's something that you have to really kind of examine properly. You have to give yourself the space, the headspace to, like, you know, to ask the question, am I doing too much trying to kind of convince the people that love me that this person has changed in a way that... Right. Why do not- I feel like that's my job? Right. That's his job. Right. You know, it's... Yeah, and he, if he is really... If he really cares for you and, and and wants you to be happy and healthy and well, he should be profoundly concerned mm. that some of the people closest to you are suspicious of him. Not because he wants everyone to like him, but because he should want the people who are the most like core pillars of your support network to know that they can trust you with him. Mm. Um, so you don't say anything about whether or not he's aware of this, whether it bothers him, what he has tried to do to convince your best friend that he's not going to do something that we don't know what it is because you've left that blank that would give her cause to, frankly, like, she doesn't disapprove of this. She, It sounds like she fears for you. She's she's talking about going to therapy mm. about the, the fact that you're marrying this man. And unless she is an incredibly unreasonable, volatile, outrageous person, which you don't say, um, she wants to go to therapy because what you are doing terrifies her. Yeah. And it's worth examining why that's yeah. a feeling that she's feeling, um, yeah. which is not to say that your feelings don't matter, but it is something that I think is worth examining. Yeah. So I would say in terms of, again, I, I don't have any sort of like smoking gun evidence that that's exactly your situation. So with the information I do have, I would say I think you need to acknowledge that she does not want to come to your wedding. It doesn't sound like for you that is a total deal breaker. Right. So. If that's something that you can do, say, I love you. I understand that you can't be there um, and don't push it. Um, you know, you right. can leave the line of communication open. It doesn't necessarily mean she's going to be coming over for a dinner party every week. But mm-hmm. if there is a way for you two to stay in some form of contact with one another, um, I, I urge you to do that. Because I, my guess is you will eventually need to leave this guy. And when you are able and ready to do that, she's going to be there for you. It sounds like she's kind of ride or die for you and that's a good thing for sure do you think there's anything else we can advise the letter writer anything else that we might have missed or i mean i i just i don't want the letter writer to to think that they have to choose i think that's Mm -hmm. that that for me is it's such a it's such a hard line to even write i feel like i have to choose is for me a a startling hallmark of Someone who should not be making that choice. Um, you know, just like you said, I think it's one of those things where you have to just kind of acknowledge that her feelings are valid and try your best to keep that channel open. Because even if you do end up ha- happily ever after with your fiance and everything goes, you know, wonderfully well, which I hope for you and pray for you. But even if it did go that way, you, she's your best friend. I'm thinking she was there before this person. And has done you good in the course of your life and as you have done her. So I think this is not, you should not be so, please do not discard this friendship. If you, if you can maintain it, I would urge you to do so. I think this is right. something that's important. Especially because, you know, your friend is not saying, if you don't leave him, I can't speak to you. Your friend is not trying to push you into anything. She's just drawing a line for herself. And it's a difficult line, of course. I don't want to sure. pretend that it's easy to have your best friend say that they can't attend your wedding. But um, whatever contact you are able to maintain with her, even if it's just a phone call every once in a while or occasionally getting lunch together, just the two of you and not really talking too much about your your partner. Right. I would urge you to keep that support in your life. All right. On to a totally different topic. Yes. Uh, this next letter. Read it, would you? Yes, I would. Um, so the subject is I'm Polly and my dad refuses to meet my boyfriend. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have been polyamorous for a number of years and last fall 
came out to my parents. It went about as well as I could have hoped, with my parents generally being accepting and supportive. They asked a number of questions, and my husband and I talked to them about our other long-term partners. My parents are planning on visiting in the next few weeks, and I asked them about meeting my boyfriend of over four years. My mum is on board, but my dad is flat out refusing to do so. He says he already has a son-in-law and doesn't need a boyfriend-in-law. I am sad and disappointed with his reaction. What is your advice for broaching this topic with my dad? Whew. Okay. What say you? I mean, modern life is interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there are lots of concepts that various generations had never had to grapple with and are now having to grapple with them. I think it's wonderful that you felt happy and confident um, enough to tell your parents about your lifestyle. Um, Because I know that there are lots of people who basically kind of shutter away. Um, parts of themselves for fear of, you know, alienation or, you know, being uh, ridiculed or or set aside. So shout out to you for doing that. Um, I, oof, I read that. Listen, I think everyone has experience of a parent not being all the way there with your romantic choices. Um, and I think you have to realize, as I'm sure you already have, that your relationship is your relationship. After a certain point, if you are happy and you are not harming anybody, I think you just might have to accept that your parents, or in this case, your dad, just doesn't want to meet your boyfriend. And I think that is hurtful. Of course it is. But it's also, it's, it's, it's one small, tiny fly in the ointment of your life. And I don't think that you should focus necessarily on that fly because your parents are aware that you have a boyfriend. They're aware that you are happy. They're aware that your husband is happy. And I think, well, sometimes you just make do with the the, the qualified happiness of your parents. You just make do. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to be reasonably in that category, um, especially because being with multiple partners is such a shift um, from everything that we have socially set up in terms of dating, at right. least in like, you know, modern United States live in, which I assume is is where this letter writer is writing to me from. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I do want to acknowledge on the one hand, it's not like you're asking your father to meet some guy you've only been with for a couple of weeks. Like this is somebody you've been partnered with for four years. It's significant yeah. to you. Um, so I understand the hurt. I also just think, man, in terms of just realistically, the average, even kind of open-minded progressive parent is going to have a difficult time at the prospect of meeting multiple partners. Not everyone in the world, not give up on trying, not let's all just accept that things are the way that things are and never try to change them. But Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be a situation where you should look for the good, um, Always try to keep a channel uh, available, open between yourself and your dad um, and and hope that it may someday change. But uh, like I don't I definitely don't think this is a category of you need to draw a line and say, Dad, either you meet him or I can't keep you in my life. Right. Because, um, you know, like he loves your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he is aware that you're poly. He is not like regularly sending you emails or leaving you voicemails about how that's bad and awful and he disapproves. Right. Um, he's okay with it in a kind of hypothetical way. And that's something, right? Like that's hmm. really, you can work with that. Exactly. Um, and I don't think any of us are, I think everyone starts out um, with a firm yes or a firm no. And then right. slowly, if you're lucky, um, things change. I, 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 I don't think I've ever had a position at the beginning of the year that I haven't at least a little bit shifted on by the end of a year. So I, I think, you know, like my... And it said, hasn't been a year. It's only been right. this last fall. It's been like six months. Right. Like, I think there are, you know, I, you know, exactly that. It's not something that you draw a line in and go, well, that's it then, I'm out. I think you have to kind of give them time to evolve. Um, right. You know, because sometimes that is something that is possible. I, I'm reminded of... You know, the the conversation that, you know, Barack Obama had, uh, the, the former president, when he 
when somebody asked him about. Thank you for that reminder. We listen, did once live in that world, I didn't mean, we? It's easy to forget. It's, it feels like it's been 700 years of President Trump. Yes, so, it does. <laughs> I just want to remind our younger listeners <laughs> that once there was a man who with large ears. <laughs> um, but um, and he said something about, you know, I've evolved uh, in my thinking about, you know, sexuality or whatever it was. And he got some flack for that. And I, I understood the flack because we're talking about real lives that are being lived at the moment. But on the other hand, I also thought, do you know what? A lot of us need convincing on even what seems to be the most basic, obvious thing. And we do evolve, thankfully. Thankfully, we evolve. And I think that is something that you have to bear in mind, that there, there may come a time when, you know, it, it's been four years with your boyfriend and hopefully many more years to come. And in that time, your father may well come around and consider this. His wife, your mother, is fine with it. You know, that's pretty great. Right. And she, who knows what softening effect she might have? And who knows also just the, the time. Time really matters here. You know, you just told them this is a shock, I imagine, for them. And then the shock wears off. And, you know, who knows, maybe you go out to lunch with your boyfriend and your mom and your mom comes home and goes, oh, ex's boyfriend is just lovely. And it begins right. something. It begins something. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good point. I think you can absolutely say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm disappointed to hear that. Um, and, and, and then, like, you don't have to pretend that it's fine. You can right. absolutely say that. But I think don't necessarily get into an argument about it. Don't push. If your mom is available and wants to come meet your boyfriend, I think you should do that. Absolutely. And I also just want to sort of piggyback on what you said earlier about Obama's statements, because I want to head something a little bit off at the pass, uh, because he was talking about gay people, LGBT people. Um, and sometimes people like to compare stuff. And sometimes that can be useful and sometimes it's not. Mm. And I think this is a case where uh, being gay is not the same thing as being poly. That's true. Um, it's not a direct analog. There are certainly plenty of parallels, but I also just get real nervous when somebody says, no, for sure. well, because this and this happened with gay people, such and such should happen with poly people, which also kind of implies, by the way, that there's like a Venn diagram right. that doesn't overlap where like gay and poly people are opposites, which they're not. Exactly. Um, and I, 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 so, I should apologize and make that clear. I was not trying oh, to kind of no. draw that parallel there. I was saying just, I was trying to draw the example of the idea that we evolve on things that right. we assumed would just didn't exist or 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 that we was alien to us um and and, we and do, to to, to put it in another way like over the last 30 years there have been numerous representations of lesbian gay bisexual and trans people to varying degrees obviously like leaning much 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 more heavily on cis gay white men mm. um but there have been a variety of um, representations of those identities, those relationships. Um, it's been part of the national conversation. Um, so there has been a lot of chance for various people at various times to absorb different messages. Again, that's not to say all those representations or even many of them have been positive, but right. but it's been part of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas polyamory, brand spanking new in terms of the cultural conversation that sort of mainstream culture is having. Right. Um, still largely like a conversation that's being led on the internet. Mm -hmm. So like your dad may have, you know, he might have seen like Billy Crystal's character in soap and been like, ah, that's a gay person like back in 79 um, and still never have heard of or seen the representation of a polyamorous polyamorous relationship so right. again they are not the same thing i don't i don't want to encourage anybody to draw a lot of parallels but to bear in mind this is a huge shift for the vast majority of people in right. terms of what they think of as ethical loving committed successful love to look like right um, and i feel like quite strongly that polyamory is like a valid healthy admirable, wonderful way to live your life if that's what works for you. Um, I believe we should all be moving towards to like a place where people can be out about being polyamorous mm -hmm. in their lives, mm -hmm. um, that it has to do with commitment and the people who are a part of your life. It's not just a sex thing and um, it's not like too much information to want to come out to the people you care about, about like a long-term relationship. Right. Um, so I just want to make that clear, but you know. But I think when it comes to broaching the topic, I don't think you can do much more than what you have done. You know, you've made it clear to him that this is your life. You've made it clear that this is something that is just, you know, the reality of your life. Um, and he's he's aware, which I think is the beginning of it's not the end of something. You know, he, he he's aware. And 
the hope is that he will eventually understand that this is not some, you know, some frivolous, small thing. This is something that, you know, you and your husband and your boyfriend and your husband's partner as well. It's just, it's it's a choice that you have made and you are happy with it. And my hope is that, you know, your kind of serene happiness with the state of affairs will eventually kind of unlock your dad and will allow him to see that, you know, you are still his child and you are happy and you are healthy and you are doing what you want to do. And that hopefully will be something that is a spur to him to, to understand that, you know, get on board essentially. Yeah. So next letter, uh, also a little vague, uh, which is, I guess, in keeping of the theme for today. Um, <laughs> but the subject line of this is just how do I escape? Dear Prudence, 16 months ago, I began seeing a man who told me he was single. He's not. I tried to break it off, but he showed up at my house asking me to reconsider. When I blocked his number, he would borrow other phones to call or text me from them. I gave in and I'm talking to him again, but I want out. He wants us to get married. I love him, but I'm also scared. So there's sort of two ways of looking at this. Right. Uh, and one of them is... Um, showing up at your house, using other people's phones to call you, you say that you're scared, um, you are being threatened, you are being pressured into a relationship, and you're scared because you need help getting this guy out of your life. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, um, I encourage you to, like, turn to your friends for support. Um, it, you know, tell him that you do not want to hear from him again, uh, and that if he does, uh, you know, you will consider it harassment, and then you can contact the police. Um, if you need a place to stay where he doesn't know where you are, um, if you need to contact a women's shelter, um, if you need to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, if, if any of this letter is about fearing for your safety, um, that is what you can and should do. Like, there are resources available to you. That's one reading of the letter, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other one is, you know, he's definitely been persistent it's not that you're scared because he showed up at your house like threatening to cut your brakes or or like you know refusing to leave when you told him to but like um you're scared of yourself because you give in when he's really persistent and he's not threatening or or harming your safety you're just scared that you will not be able to end an unhealthy relationship because you're you know uh your week where he's concerned mm -hmm. um and that, to that i would have a really different set of answers i don't know if you kind of read it that same way no, no i i did because because the final line is i love him but i'm also scared and like you i was like i don't know if you're scared of him or you're scared of yourself in this right. like or both i guess right, or both right like I, I you know like you said the the idea of kind of quote-unquote weakening you know, once he kind of is in front of you, once he is. But on the other hand, you've also very explicitly, um, the, the reader has very explicitly said, but I want out. Um, and loving someone right. and wanting out can coexist very happily. Um, so I think if you want to be out of this relationship, then even loving him is not enough. You know, you said I want out. So you deserve to get out. Right. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, you can block his number. If he calls you from other numbers, block those numbers, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are absolutely I, I understand that, especially when someone is incredibly persistent, there can kind of be that sense of it will be just easier mm. to give in now or mm -hmm. even to think like, wow, they must really, really care about me. I might never find anyone who cares about me this much again. Right. I should be involved. Um and you don't have to. And frankly, like, even if you're not afraid for your safety, if you end it with him and he starts showing up at your house, you can absolutely say, I said no, I meant no. Mm -hmm. You need to leave. If you don't leave, I'm going to call the police. And then you can call the police. Right. Um, because, like, frankly, the more I look at this letter, the more I am inclined to see at least a certain degree of, like, totally unacceptable behavior. Like, that is... Um, like when you show up at somebody's house after they have broken up with you. Yeah. Um, That's like not cool. Maybe once in your life that can be written off as like, okay, you like did a dumb thing for love. But like when someone blocks your phone number and you start borrowing or getting burner phones to call them, like you're. Um, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. You're doing, that's a problem. You're doing yeah, officially so too much at that point. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that's you're well within your rights to, as Mallory said, you, you, you call for help because I, yeah. this is someone who you said no to according to your yeah. letter repeatedly 
and that no has fallen on deaf ears. And I think if this is something that is truly that you find threatening or worrisome in a way that, you know, you are thinking about your safety and, you know, you, you feel un, un, unnerved by this kind of persistent attention when you have asked for it to stop, then you are well within your rights to seek help. Um, and you right. can you can find help. And I think I wonder if an implicit fear that's keeping the letter writer from asking for help is this thought that, well, he's not single. What if people judged me, especially because I took him back? Mm. And if that is in any way holding you back from telling other people and asking for their help and getting him out of your life, please don't let that hold you back. Yeah. Um, this guy has very clearly been aggressive, disregarded your personal boundaries. He's lied to you. Like, this is not the behavior of a man who loves and respects you. This is the behavior of a man who is used to demanding what he wants out of you. And if you don't give it to him immediately, he will escalate and try to control you until you give it to him. Right. Even so, from the get-go, from the, the very premise of this is he said he was single when he was not. So he has been, right. from the get-go, has been an undesirable person in that way. Because you don't start off a relationship with that big of a lie. And then expect everything to kind of just fall into place. And he's right. You know, That's not the start of a beautiful love right, story. Right. And I think the pattern of behavior has kind of followed very much that, that he, 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 he has lied and he is persistent in a way that I think you, you know, you clearly don't want and don't like. You've said explicitly, I want out. And this is something that you should be able to express to him and then kind of seek ways to enforce that if it's still not clear to him. Yeah. So tell friends and people that you trust, uh, call a a women's shelter and ask for their advice. It, it, I think sometimes people think, oh, that's only for people who are in serious immediate danger. Right. It's it's not. It, it's for anyone who is. I mean, I, I should say any women because a lot of women's shelters don't don't have systems in place to to help men. Yeah. Um, but anyone who is trying to leave someone and feel like they can't or or feels like they are in the position of not needing to break up with someone but to escape yeah that's what they're for and they will be able to offer you with help and you you can absolutely again I, I, you don't say this explicitly but you say i gave in and i'm talking to him again but i want out and i wonder if part of you feels like you won't be able to say no to him cuz he'll say but you've started talking to me again mm. and again just remember you don't owe him anything and if you change your mind, you are allowed to do that. And that's not ammunition that he gets to use against you to convince you to stay. Right. Um, you can end this right now. You don't have to have a big sit down conversation. You don't have to convince him that it's a good idea. He doesn't have to like it. You can break up with him. You can do it over text. You can say, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. Don't contact me again. Mm -hmm. And then if he does contact you again, you can block those numbers. And if he does show up at your house, you can say, I'm calling the cops. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell people. Um, like, right. I think that's telling very people is going to be so helpful to you. Yes. The secrecy that he has over you right now, that helps him control you. Right. Telling on his cheating ass is going to help you and that's what we want we want right. to help you i think that's very screw very that that's absolutely screw that guy but i think that's that's very important it's that you are not sitting on this by yourself and kind of working yourself into a spiral of you know fear and guilt and worry when you could be you could you could tell the people who love you that this is this is a situation that you are going through and you are unsure about how to proceed but you need their help and i'm sure that there are people who will rally around you and try to make sure that you extricate yourself from this situation with as little disruption to your life as is possible. And I think that's something that you should absolutely, absolutely explore. Yeah, totally agree. Would you read the next letter? Yes. So the subject of this is professional problems, which obviously made me clap my hands with glee. Uh, it says, yeah, we did have a lot of relationships. Very. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, the problems don't stop. We just keep trucking. Um, the letter says, Dear Prudence, I had a client ask me for a million changes to a project after it was turned in, who then lied to my boss and said he'd asked ages ago. My boss had no interest in hearing my input and fired me. Now I'm concerned he's saying bad things about me based on half the story. Should I contact him and try to clear the air or just keep pushing and hope potential employers will overlook the blip on my otherwise very full for my age resume? So before we give any advice, I want to clear up or attempt to clear up a little bit of pronoun trouble in this letter 
because the letter writer says, I'm concerned he's saying bad things about yes. me based on half the story, uh-huh. which I think means the boss. That's what I assumed. That's that's what I assumed. Okay. Because then she goes on to, okay. or, or they go on to then say, um, hoping potential employers will overlook the blip. So I'm hoping that if someone is seeking a reference from a previous employer, that's why you would say that. So contact him and try to clear the air. So I think, I think it's the boss as well. So I'm going with okay. the boss. Good. Okay. So based on that information, what would you recommend that they do? Because well, the urge to correct misinformation uh, is so strong. Do you think that's a good idea? I, I don't know. I don't know what field you're in. I don't know what industry you're in. I am someone who believes in the power of um, a paper trail. Um, I think emails are an unnecessary part of modern life. However, they e- email has its uses. And one of them is being able to kind of point to something with a great big red marker and say, actually, this is this or this is not. Um, so I think I, I, oh, I don't know what industry you're in. So I don't understand how small it is or, you know, the level that you're at. I don't know who's talking to who and how information travels in that way. I know. I mean, I, I'm a journalist and I know that there are lots of kind of tiny whispering campaigns that happen over the course mm-hmm. of a career. You know, we're not even talking about one job in one organization. We're talking about stories that persist 15, 20 years after the fact. You know, there are stories I heard when I first started out that I'm still hearing today. And it's kind of like, actually, that's been embellished massively in, you know, in the time that I've heard it first and last. Um, so I do think that you have to you have to operate in good faith. You have to go into other jobs with the hope that your boss is not being a complete dickhead and saying things they should not be saying. But you also have to go in armed with the truth and that's, I think, the more important thing. You cannot help what your boss is going to or your ex-boss is going to say about you. But you can handle, you know, the aftermath of that should that happen. And that's where you kind of, you know, you don't go in with a it's it's very difficult to say to someone, I know what X has said, but actually he's wrong because then you look like, you know, an abrasive paranoid, <laughs> paranoid, and, yeah. massively paranoid. And no one wants to hire a paranoid person who comes in with stories that they may or may not have, have even heard. Um, but I do think that you can preempt whatever, you know, feelings that they might have based on what he may or may not have told them by saying, you know, this is this is what I'm good at. This is my resume. These are my skills and, you know, give them examples of your work that will ensure that what they're not thinking about is whatever lie your ex-boss may have been spreading about you. I think in as much as there's a very, basically your ex-boss is your ex-boss. He doesn't live in your brain. You, He's not paying any rent to live there. So you can evict him hmm. with no worries because he is not paying for the space in your mind. And I think you have to just go ahead into every new interaction with any potential new employer and essentially do what you do and do it really well. And you have to kind of, I suppose you have to sell that at the beginning, you know, in the beginning interactions with your new employers. But that's something that you can do because according to your letter, you have a very full resume. So I think that's something you can fall back on with, you know, relative ease and just let that do the majority of the talking when it comes to defending your skill set and what you are able to do. Yeah, I, I I feel like that your boss fired you without even asking for your side of the story suggests that your boss is not a tremendously reasonable person, right? Because like if I'm managing somebody and I hear something even quite bad from a client, at the very least, I will ask my employee who I presumably, you know, have worked with for some time and have some degree of trust in uh, what they want to tell me about the story before I make a decision. So the idea of recontacting your boss or your ex-boss, I imagine the likelihood of it doing any good is pretty low. But I, I wonder if there is a case for just saying something along the lines of, I understand the way that we parted ways was regrettable, and I just want to let you know, here is the email of the client asking for these changes after the project was completed. I just want to clear the air and let you know I worked as hard as I could on this project. I did not neglect to update anything I was asked to do. That, For whatever that's worth, I wanted you to know that. Mm. You can say that. I can't imagine it's going to—I mean, there's a small chance that your boss might see it and have a total— 
change of heart and just feel terrible about himself. But <laughs> it just doesn't seem super likely. Right. Um, and that's what I, yeah. I mean, I brought up the emails thing because you can, you know, as Mallory suggested, you can send, you can forward these to your boss and say, look, here is a timeline of what happened. As you can see, what the client said was actually incorrect. And here is the fact, here is the proof, here, you know, here are the emails that would essentially exonerate you in terms of being the guilty party in in messing up anything in this project. But again, it strikes me that your boss is, or your ex-boss rather, is a very, very petty small man. Um, and so it may not be as effective as it would be on a more reasonable person. So this is why I urge you to just kind of, you know, as my, my Nigerian parents say, face your front. <laughs> just face your front and just do what you need to do. Yeah. The the one thing, the other thing I want to address is I believe when they when they write, do I hope that potential employees will overlook the blip on my otherwise very full for my age resume? It sounds like they are considering leaving that job off of their resume mm. uh, or or else do they mean a blip in the sense of it's still on there. But if they contact that boss, they will not hear great things about me. I, I thought the latter. Okay, because I, I wouldn't um, leave I, off a chunk of like if I was doing this is the thing if the job is the kind of thing that you want to have on your CV because listen we've all left stuff off of our CVs you know I remember a summer where I worked on a lads mag and no one except me and God and now you listeners know about that but um, I think if it's a case of leaving it on your resume I think they're worried about you know being you know them essentially the 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 prospective employer contacting the ex employer to ask about you know, to ask for a reference. Um, listen, if it's a small enough, if it's a small enough job that you don't want to have it on your CV, and if you truly believe that your ex-boss would be petty enough to say, actually, I fired her because she was rubbish, then listen, it's up to you if you want to leave that on there or if you want to kind of hope that they won't do that. I, it's a, it's a difficult thing and it's, it's a decision that you will have to make for yourself in that case. But I also think that, you know, a lot of the time, some things that employees do is just confirm the dates of you working there and they are not right. required to give any extra Especially information. Especially if you only list it on your CV and don't list them as a reference. That right. might be helpful. Exactly. But yeah, I think probably your best, you know, it may be worth sending that email. They may never, op he may never open it or he may respond with something dreadful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the potential for fallout there is moderate but it, you may decide that it is worth sending and it would have to be very polite brief uh -huh. and simply contain the necessary information right. and if you didn't get the response you wanted you would absolutely have to move on you would not be able to contact your former boss right again. Um, it's, it's i think your no best rent. bet is just going to be yeah I, I think this was just a bad boss mm -hmm. and it sounds like you already have a very full resume and other people who are going to be able to sing your praises to the skies and the best thing to do is probably move on mm -hmm. On the subject of work, our next letter writer is in love with their Oof. boss. Ooh. And boy, oh boy, there's just nothing that can be done about it. Unfortunately, they are now on a roller coaster on a fixed track, and there's nothing to do but ride the ride. <laughs> no other option. Dear Prudence, I've recently started a new job at a new location for a company I've worked for for the last three years. I came in to find my new boss as a former coworker from another location. Despite my best efforts, I'm falling for him. He's a great boss, sweet, funny. We get along really well and are on the same page about everything. I think he may be interested in me too, as he is touchy, grabbing my shoulders, putting his hand on my back. Our knees touch when we sit together. He's always in my personal space. He compliments me, goes out of his way to talk to me. We have a ton of inside jokes, and he always has a huge smile whenever I talk to him. I also catch him watching me frequently. So this is all great, right? Wrong. He is a long-term live-in partner, compounded by the fact that he is my boss. How do I find out for sure if he's interested? I can't ask him out, and I feel strange asking him to be friends outside of work. What do I do? My feelings won't die down, and I only seem to like him more as time goes on and we spend more time together. Help. I got to tell you, I was real surprised by how that compounded with the fact that he is my boss sentence ended. I was not expecting to hear, how do I find out if he's interested? I, I was I, really expecting, how do I get a lid on these feelings? Listen, but. I did a, a full cartoon eyebrows shooting up to my hairline. Like, oh, oh, that's that was not the ending I saw. 
to that sentence. So you are not alone in that. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I also, letter writer, just want to, for whatever it's worth, I want to throw this out there. When you stop to sort of rhetorically ask, so this is all great, right? No, that is not what any of us were thinking. None of us were sitting here thinking, this is the great start to a beautiful relationship. All of us were thinking, oh, you dummy, you dummy, get out, get out. The house is haunted and a ghost is right behind you. The call is literally coming from inside the house. Get out. Yeah, no, the fact that he has a long-term live-in partner was not the first problem in your letter. It Uh, was not. You should not be looking to find out if he is interested. Uh, The one ray of hope in this otherwise insensible letter was, uh, I feel strange asking him to be friends outside of work. That is the one instinct of yours that has like a degree of sensibility and self-preservation to it. (laughs) Follow that feeling. Fan the flames of that feeling of strangeness. Fan it. it. Grow that single hair in that one single follicle until it's the full head of hair. Just keep growing that hair. I think that's, yeah, that that was pretty much the only spot that made me think, oh, okay. Oh, okay. There's room here. Because God, God, I mean, from the... uh, Also, can I just bring up something about... Yeah, always. The, the question, the, the sentence that began, despite my best efforts, I am so interested in what these efforts entail, because how right. does one not fall? I, 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 despite my best efforts is a is a miraculous sentence. Explain to me what those efforts are. I got to say, I think my best like if it was so dire that I thought I run the risk of compromising my future at this company um, contributing to the end of somebody else's partnership and just needlessly complicating my own personal life for goodness knows how long my best efforts are going to include frankly looking for a transfer right um, limiting my contact with this person not going out of my way to have inside jokes with them yeah asking them very politely to not touch me unless they need to in the course of our work like none don't touch uh, my arms or my shoulders don't grab my don't put your hand on my back don't yeah. you know do not be in my personal space walk I, I, yeah whew. i mean i read this and, and i, I started tell you, sweating i was sweating yeah. reading it it's so stressful it, also like they say that uh they've recently started the new job mm. um my feelings won't die down which again implies to me sometimes we feel like when we want something especially <laughs> if we want something we know we're quote unquote not supposed to have it feels like these feelings are so f- powerful that it would be impossible not to give in to them. They will only get stronger. So mm. if I don't give in to them now, after four and a half weeks of like increasing <laughs> intensity, my God, six months from now, I'll be unable to look at him without achieving orgasm. Um, <laughs> and that's just not true. That's one of the lies that our dumb animal brain tells us in order to get us to give in to our like impulses. Um, right. I promise you, letter writer, you are capable of being very attracted to your boss and not doing anything about it. Um, it is such a lie when people say, I just couldn't help my feelings. Right. You can't help your feelings. You absolutely can. I mean, I was reminded of that Steve Martin film, um, The Man with Two Brains, when he says, mm-hmm. you know, send me a sign, just any sign. And like, <laughs> you know, the photo, uh, basically he's he's caught between a, hard and, uh, a rock and a hard place and he's kind of calling out to the ancestor. I think it's his mother. Just send me a sign. And behind him, there is a portrait of someone and it's spinning. It's spinning on the on its axis. And he's like, oh, I guess no sign. And I think yeah. this is very much a clear case of, mm, I guess no sign. There are several signs. I think this is something that you really need to sit down and kind of truly kind of sort sort your feelings um, from, as Mallory has pointed out, the thing about it's so intense in these these four weeks. I know he's my soulmate. And it's like, well, is he? Is he really? Yeah. Uh, because Will I can, you never feel this way about anyone never. else ever like, again? I, and I don't think that's the case. I don't think this person is your soulmate because if they were, my feeling is they would be single. Um, that's my feeling. I mean, I may be wrong. I'm not an expert on soulmates, but I, I think if... Or at the very least, polyamorous. Right, at the very least. And they will not and be not your, your boss. boss. Right, yeah. look at that. We didn't yeah. even plan that. And that was like a duet. <laughs> they, they would not be your you know, boss. You know, despite my best efforts, I, I think I'm falling for you. <laughs> despite my best efforts, Mallory, I'm moving in with you. I think Nothing to be done about it. It I is mean, an, inevitable as an earthquake. And I just think that you have to truly sit down and, you know, look yourself in the mirror and just talk to yourself like you would, you know, sternly to a best friend. What are you doing, sis? What are you what are you doing? 
I don't yeah. think this is just, I think you, and that's the thing. I think deep down, deep, deep down, I must, you know, I must stress that deep, deep, deep down, you know that this is wrong because. <sighs> not just wrong, but unwise. Like, this is it's my just point. Not a like, good it's, strategy. It's, it's, a, it's a poor strategy for you. It's a wrong strategy for you. I think this is something that you know. And so I think it might be Mallory and I's job to kind of explain and point out very explicitly why the first thing like i said and mallory said this is your boss and yes they were a former co-worker from another location but they are now currently they are your boss there are ethical issues at the very least he could fire you tomorrow this sweet funny guy that you agree yes. with about anything who touches your could shoulders fire you could fire or lay you. you off tomorrow without and you would not have recourse right there are situations that are avoidable and those that are unavoidable. And this to me feels very much like an avoidable problem. This is right. something that will complicate your life in ways that it should not be complicated. Because, you know, something else you know about him, in addition to the fact that you guys are on the same page about everything, whatever that means, right? Like you've, mm -hmm. you can't have worked together for more than six months or a year. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said recently. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that remarkable that you guys get along about things Right. Like you also just haven't spent that much time together. I know it might feel like forever, but it's not. Mm -hmm. um, you also know he is the kind of person who is willing to like put his hand on the back of his employees and touch knees with his employees. And it's cool for you because you're into it. But right. like that's actually kind of not OK to do. And like a good boss who really cared about the comfort and security and well-being of his employees would not do that even if he was really attracted to somebody that he worked with. Right. So, like, you it's also know that he has some bad judgment when it comes to workplace boundaries. And if you didn't like it, if you didn't welcome that behavior, if you felt uncomfortable every time he put his hand on your back, then that would mean he was a shitty boss. Right. So I, I know we're kind of coming down on you, and, and I, partly I'm doing that because you just seem so blithely unaware of what a mm -hmm. colossally bad idea this is and it seems mm -hmm. like you kind of think like you know if i could just figure out if he likes me too we'll mm. figure out all this boss and partner stuff right don't and he's, don't he, he, don't his, his behavior i think just as Malish pointed out his behavior reeks of just a series of just bad judgment calls the yeah. idea of him you know you i mean inside jokes are fine whatever that, that happens when you work with someone closely fine fine we all have jokes but then this, I, he always has a huge smile whenever I talk to him. I catch him watching me frequently. I, mate, I find that quite creepy and that's wrong-headed. Right? That's yeah. wrong-headed. It's barely okay when it's someone you work with on the same level. But if it's your boss, I mean, yeah. consider, just consider how that looks. Just just consider it. I don't want you to even, if if somebody, I want you to treat this 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 letter as though somebody else wrote in and told you about it. Would would there be alarm bells ringing in your mind? Right. Um, I think there might be a couple. And I think that's something that you have to examine. And then, I mean, and this is all before even the fact that the secondary thing, which is he's in a long term live in relationship. I. Yeah. I mean, oof. yeah, I mean, maybe he is. I'm not trying to say he's like the world's greatest monster. I'm saying he's making a lot of bad decisions. He's not being as good a boss as you think he is. Right. Let's let's leave open the possibility that mm -hmm. the two of you have so profound a connection that it has caused both of you to act in a way that's really out of character, that neither mm -hmm. of you would ever do it with any other employee or boss. Um, mm -hmm. It's a one-time only thing. Even if we accept that, the way that you guys get together is not by increasingly crossing a physical line with one another at work and then falling into something and mm. pretending, whoops, how did this happen? And it's like, well, you know how it happened. You walked deliberately up to the line, <laughs> stuck a toe over it, then stuck your whole foot over it, then leapt over it and then asked, gee, how did this happen? It happened on purpose because you did it. Right. Um, so if nothing else, know that neither one of you has as much plausible deniability as you think you do. Um, right. But like, even even if you guys are meant to be together, it's not going to be while he's your boss mm -hmm. and it's not going to be while he's with a long-term committed partner. So right. if nothing else, the time for you guys to get together is sure as shit not now. So right. all that in mind, and I don't think you guys should get together. I don't think he is the guy for you. I think he is a, an attractive person who's willing to flirt with you at work when he should be working. Right. Um, and, and understandably, that makes you that feel judgment. good, as it, as it should. Because of when course. someone attractive flirts with you, it is nice. It is heartwarming. 
But then you bear in mind all the other variables that are swimming around. And the key thing here is that he is your boss. Yeah. And that is that is just a that is a bad scene. I think that is something that you should not be encouraging. So my advice to you, letter writer, do not try to find out for sure if he is interested. Uh, put that question to rest. Don't Please. worry about it. Let it be a mystery for the ages. Let it be something that you wonder about as you are an old woman when you right. look back on the many loves of your life. Right. Um, Smiling a secret smile. Exactly. <laughs> it may be that there is for a long time, perhaps indefinitely, a real spark between the two of you. Um, I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to tell you that's necessarily going to go away. But you absolutely have the choice of whether or not you want to try to fan that spark as hard as you can to see what you can burn down Uh uh, versus letting it just be a pilot light that you don't try to fuck around with. Right. Right. Don't light away. (laughs) You could burn down like your personal life, your professional life, his Uh personal life, or you could have a sort of pleasant, very background, very chaste sort of vibe with your boss that's Mm -hmm. kind of nice but you don't go out of your way to fan it and you look for available people who could date you and And you be available too you be available to that as well i think a key part of this is going to be you talking yourself down from this kind of you seem to be caught up in an upward spiral of feelings and i think this is something that you can you can pull yourself out of this particular riptide. This is not this is not an inevitable. There is no inevitability as yet in this. And you can you can you can stop the narrative right here. This is such a great note to close on because I think the last piece of advice that I want to leave all of our listeners with which is that uh having sex with someone is not an inevitability. <laughs> It's like not. obviously absent, absent like coercion and violence. I, I'm talking about sex with someone that you are choosing to do. It is not something that's going to happen to you. And sometimes we like to pretend when we want to sleep with somebody that we think we shouldn't or in a way that would violate our values or principles. We think, well, my feelings were just too strong. Couldn't be helped. Mm. It can be helped. You don't have to sleep with someone just because you're very attracted to them. You that's actually can. True. You actually can just be attracted to someone, wish you could sleep with them, and then don't. Yeah, I should know. Right, like, Bim, have you have you done that ever? <laughs> Has there ever been someone you were attracted to you and you so, didn't sleep with? So many times. It's actually as easy as buying a loaf of bread. It's It happens so often. It's just as mundane. Yeah. It's just something Plus, that... Plus, a tractor beam. It can't pull you in against your will. It doesn't have that kind of power. It is powerful, but it is not that yeah. powerful. It doesn't physically move you into position. To have sex yeah, with Yeah, you someone. still have to make choices. You do. So at the very least, don't deny your agency in these situations. Right. Right. Bim, I'm so, so, so glad. A, of all, that you were on the show today. You were just a fantastic, wonderful guest. And B, of all, that you and I have decided to fall in love and move in together. I mean, listen, this is why I moved to America. So I'm glad. You will never have to buy a loaf of bread again. Oh, my God. I'm going to take such good care I'm of you. I'm so touched. I can't wait for our life to begin. I'm so ready. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute, tops. 